1: SansPants Radio, burning down the house.
2: Reading books is hard. Get someone to read them to you. Head to audibletrial.com forward slash Radio and get your free audiobook. And if you decide that reading's not that bad, you can just cancel it later. Hey guys, you sick of carrying around the crippling weight of disappointment? Well now let us carry it for you with this stylish tote bag. At redbubble.com, just search SansPants Radio.
1: Welcome to Plumbing the Death Star presents Movie Maintenance, where some novels just need sequels. Today we're looking at a hypothetical Hannibal Book Five. All right, Hannibal Book Five, Hannibal Book Five.
2: Welcome to our Hannibal trilogy. You know, originally, <laughs> is our we... Hannibal Part Three more Hannibal?
1: More, <laughs> more Hannibal. <laughs> I don't look, coming into, I was I was actually like, as I was kind of putting this together, I was like explicitly referring to this as the fourth book in the Hannibal series. <laughs> but then I actually ended up using some elements of Hannibal Rising. So I guess I have to include it now. <laughs> yeah. Um, <clears throat> so long as maybe a
3: part in your book, you can be like, uh, 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 Hannibal Rising was just like a uh, uh, leak, something that maybe Hannibal himself had written. That this is a well, story that's that that the story that he... that's kind of the angle it. they
1: gave it in the TV exactly. show, isn't it? Like that, yeah, that... They- <laughs> The, so the sort of whole narrative of his sister being eaten and that traumatizing him was something yeah. that he sort of just put out there for his own benefit slash amusement. Yeah. So let's um, just keep that. That'll be yeah. Common. Canon. Yeah. Okay. So um. So just quickly, what? It, so you've read the book, Zamet. Um. I've, you I think haven't. I've read them I all haven't. except
3: for Hannibal Rising. I I, I I know I own it. I went out and I think I bought the hardcover when it came out because yeah, I was a me too, again yeah. huge Hannibal uh book Thomas Harris book fan when I was younger. Uh, love the fuck out of like, Hannibal Was again one of my favourite books um, uh, Red Dragon was so great Red Dragon is my favourite um, It's my
2: favourite movie
3: Yes But I don't know. Like, I don't think I read Hannibal Rising. It was one of those ones I just like, I just yeah, I think it's... I started and I, I have these vague recollections of what happened, so I must have maybe read.
1: You might have it? saw the film. No,
3: you I have definitely have not oh, seen okay, that film. Okay.
1: So I, I think You made I've a read good
3: it. choice. Like, yeah.
1: <laughs> it's, yeah, look, it's I, I think well, I, mean, I might have read it. Thomas I think we spoke about this in the Hannibal Rising podcast mm. anyway, but like Thomas Harris was basically forced to write it. So you yeah, know, there's definitely and you have gotta feel that as you read it. Like, you can feel that there's just a total lack of mm. passion. Whereas like the other books are so yeah deep and passionate and there's so much going on in them whereas Hannibal Rising just feels very surface level Um, and has none of the layers of kind of the other books like you know I mean Red Dragon and Science of the Lambs are these like crime thrillers uh, that sort of uh, double as character (laughs) studies and then there's like this sort of overarching kind of almost biblical story of like Mm. the devil you know uh making connections with humans and all of this like great rich stuff with all the allusions to Dante and everything. I don't I don't know anything about Dante apart from what I've <laughs> learned from Hannibal. But it makes me feel like I'm something of an expert. But um Fair enough. but yeah, like I don't know, it just Hannibal Rising feels jarring and superfluous. So like I, when I I explain the books to people I say it's a trilogy. And to me it kind of yeah. is like I feel like the ending of the novel Hannibal is very much actually like the ending of the third season of the TV show where it's a satisfying conclusion but there is stuff that they haven't yeah. done yet, and you kind of want that to go on because I love can... the ending of and a of lot the
3: of book. people don't. Um, and because I, I read it again, because I think they he wrote the book and then they just
1: didn't, it didn't go straight into production. Yet. It went straight into production. Uh,
3: Jodie Foster hated the yep, ending of yep. it, so that she refused to be involved. Her role, and then they and rewrote
1: they, the ending. But by that point, she'd, she'd already moved on to on. something else. Okay. So for those who don't know, um, the ending of the novel Hannibal in the movie, you know they. Uh, Hannibal cuts off the top of Paul Krendler's head. There's some fucking about. Hannibal and Clarice sort of get into a fight. Hannibal cuts on <coughs> his own hand after Clarice cuffs them to escape. Mm. And that's the ending of the film. In the book, Clarice actually, who is drugged and sort of in a kind of a sort of drugged, brainwashed semi-state, partakes in eating Krendler's brains. Mm-hmm. And then they uh, clear the dishes into his empty skull <laughs> and then proceed to fuck. And then it jumps forward three years, so we get a bit of a sort of, I guess, like in literary, ter- like a literary sort of montage of um, the other characters. So you know, Ardelia Map, Clarice's roommate, receives a letter from her, just saying, "Don't come looking for me. Mm-hmm. I'm fine. I love you." Um, Jack Crawford sort of kind of just accepts what's happened and then it, the last you see of him is you know he's in bed and he's already had a heart attack and then like he feels another one coming on and he just ends with him just rolling over to his wife's side of the bed and just lying there and then it says that Clarice like read about his death in the paper mm-hmm. and she just kind of went off and like Hannibal just knew that there was something going on but just let her go away and like took a day and they just never spoke about Jack Crawford again but like Clarice sort of took this time for her kind of mentor father figure and then the last you see is um, Barney the Orderly. I love Barney. I love Barney. <laughs> it is Barney's, Barney's going to go through some shit in my story. But, um, yeah, so, you know, it's Barney in Buenos Aires, and he's with his girlfriend, and they've been tripping around, going to different operas, I think. And anyway, they're in the opera, they're watching it, then Barney gets this sensation that someone is watching him. Mm. And he looks up into sort of one of the topper uh, in, like, the dress circle, and it's Hannibal and Clarice, like, all dressed up, like, high society, watching the opera. And Hannibal raises his glass to Barney. And Barney's like to his girlfriend, the moment the lights go down, we have to leave. And they just run off. And then it ends with Hannibal and Clarice on the terrace of their big house, just dancing. Mm. And that's the end. Mm. And it pulls out, and that sort of. And you can just imagine if it was a film, like the, camera the camera's sort cameras. of pulling out. Mm. And that's the end. But, so look, to me, like, I, I think it's a satisfying ending. Like, for a lot of people, it. Compromises Clarice as a character, mm. and there's a lot of questions of, like, how much is she brainwashed? How much much yeah. does she know
3: what she's doing? I don't think I could have accepted that ending. Actually, now that I think about it, with Anthony Hopkins as Hannibal, no, and even Jodie Foster or Julianne Moore as um, Clarice, I don't think that pairing would have
1: well,
2: worked. The other thing
1: is that, like, what
3: was they didn't going have on that the...
2: kind of chemistry.
1: Yeah, no, and but what was going on in the novel? Like, to me, the reason Clarice <clears throat> runs off is because you see her; she's like this upstanding. Uh, character of great moral fortitude and the FBI just keeps fucking her over. Mm. Like first, you know, she has to shootout with um Amelda Drungo, the drug drug dealer. And oh,
3: with um HIV needles in her hair. Yeah, yeah with oh, that. Fuck, he, I love who that. keeps book.
1: needles in her hair and like um carries her baby around with her. And then like Clarice guns her down, like with her baby yeah. in her arms, like in self-defense. And then like Clarice basically like grabs the baby and like runs off and like has to like spray the blood off the baby because it's like HIV positive yeah. blood. And it's this really sort of Dark fucked up moments. with Clarice, like you know, being an outright hero, and of course the press sort of spin it as her like brutalizing this baby and gunning down a mother, despite the fact that that mother was like going to kill her, and the FBI practically crucify her for it, and like try to fuck up her career over and over and over and over again. And so in the end, when oh, she runs she off wants with
2: to, yeah, no wonder she that's wants it. To. When she
1: runs off hmm. with Hannibal, it's because after everything, it's well. What else am I going to do? Like, you know, I gave my life to the Bureau and this is what I get in return. Like, just constantly fucked over, fucked over, fucked over. And I think a lot of people took issue with the ending of the book because it was like Clarice compromising everything that she was to go off with this killer. I actually disagree. I think it was more like – and this is what I'm going to get into a lot. Like, what is the difference between Clarice Starling and Will Graham as characters? What Mm. is the fundamental difference between these two characters and how they relate to Hannibal Lecter? And we think about Clarice at the end there. I don't necessarily think she's compromising by going off with Hannibal. I think mm. she's aware of what Hannibal is, but I don't think that makes her the same. Just because she accepts it doesn't necessarily make her party to it in the same way Will Graham would be. Yes. And I'm going to get into that. So oh.
2: Exciting! So
1: yeah, the question of why Clarice went with Hannibal is going to be a big underpinning mm. sort of idea in my story. So, i uh, start with a bit of context. Um, the Will Graham of the books isn't quite the Will Graham of the show. In the show, you know, there's this quasi-romantic relationship between Will and Hannibal. In the books, the backstory is significantly simpler. Um, Basically, Will meets Hannibal for the first time while interviewing him about a past patient that is possibly to do with the Chesapeake Ripper. He feels like something's off, so he comes back for a follow-up interview and in Lecter's office, he sees the image of the Wound Man, like this classical illustration of different wounds done to a body. And I think Mm. one of Hannibal's victims had been prepared in that same way. Yeah, so the one there's like a, like a spear in it? Yeah, and like, yeah, exactly. Him, he's got like a dagger, all these And kinds Will realises in that moment Hannibal's the killer he's looking for, and that's when Hannibal comes up behind him and guts him with the linoleum knife, which you sort of see a version of in the show and uh, in the uh, Anthony Hopkins movie as well, yeah. in the opening. But in both the show and the movie, they have like this long-standing relationship already. Like the movie kind of implies they've been like investigating stuff together, and the show sets up like this almost romantic love story. But in the books, they met twice. Like, literally, apart from, I'm assuming, in court, when Will goes to visit Hannibal in the cell for the first time, that's, like, the third time they've had a conversation ever.
2: Oh, that's interesting. So it's a
1: very, very different relationship. Mm. So there's this... I mentioned this in the last one, but um, there's a really cool video online called Regaining the Mindset that edits together Will and Hannibal's conversation in the cell from all three versions of Red Dragon, um, from from Manhunter, from the 2002 Hopkins film, and from the TV show. So what's really interesting, though, even though the dialogue's identical, pretty much, or not identical, but very similar and taken from the novel, the relationships are really, really different. The William Peterson version from Manhunter, this is a man terrified of facing up to his worst nightmare. Like, this is the guy who, like, gutted him, who left him, like, mauled in a hospital, and he has to come face-to-face with him to kind of regain the mindset. Then there's that bit at the end where Hannibal says, you know, uh, you just came to get the old scent back. Then as Will's leaving, Hannibal's screaming, you want the scent? Smell yourself! And it's this really terrifying moment where you realise just how, like, damaged and how terrified of Hannibal Will Graham is. Um, The Hopkins version is similar, but there's also that element of familiarity because in that continuity, they've obviously known each other for a while, they've worked together for a while. So there is a little bit of that element of old friends. I think Hannibal actually says just like old times to him. Mm. Um, whereas you know that relationship isn't there in Manhunter or the book. And then, of course, in the TV show version, there's it's it's like two jilted lovers coming back together and having like an awkward meeting where they have to work on something, but it's all just a little bit uncomfortable. so it's it's curious like how similar they are, but how different sort of the dynamics are in each one of them. Um, so anyway, coming into this hypothetical fourth novel, I want you to clear your mind of the Will Graham of the show. Wow. Oh. Um, okay. just get rid of him altogether. Um, <laughs> this Will Graham, <laughs> this Will, he's a tougher, more introspective, angrier character. At the end of Red Dragon, the novel, he gets knifed in the face by Francis Dollahyde, And he's mentioned like three times in Science of the Lambs. One of which is to say that he's now a drunk in Florida with a face that's hard to look at. Like, I think mm. one of the first things Hannibal says to Clarice when Clarice comes into the cell is like, oh, how's Will Graham's face? How's yeah. his face? Like, so, you know, Will Graham just gets abandoned by the novels and we never really see him again. So, but there is an argument though, even though the iterations of the character are very different, I would argue that. Uh, Harris's will in the novel actually ends up in a much darker place than Hugh Dancy's ever goes to he gets knifed in the face he ends up in hospital and the novel ends with this reflection of him just like lying in his hospital bed not talking to anyone he gets a note from Hannibal Lecter saying oh I hope you're not too ugly his wife turns up but is obviously just there because she kind of has to be and it's sort of implied that she's had enough of him and is going to leave him Yeah, and it ends with him reflecting on nature and thinking about sort of a civil war battle, I think it is. And he's thinking about it, and he's thinking just about all, like, the carnage and the death and the murder that goes Mm -hmm. on, like, in nature and the way humans are to each other. And there's a line which the show actually appropriated for the Mason Virgis scene, where Mason cuts off his face, where Will says, you know, we make mercy. Mercy doesn't exist. It's something we make, but then by the same token, we make murder too, because nature doesn't care, because it means nothing to nature. These are all just human inventions, and to the world and to nature at large, it means nothing. And it's this kind of nihilistic notes that we leave Will on that's probably where Hannibal wanted him to end up. So to me it's curious interesting to like follow him from there and see where does this guy end up? Now he's had this like horrible fucking realization that is completely just like shaking, probably shaken to his core. No wonder he ends up a drunk in a bar. Mm. So what happens to him? <clears throat> mm. So, this is a logical point to pick up the story. And this novel is gonna focus very much on Will Graham at the expense of Hannibal and Clarice a little bit. So is this gonna
3: basically pick up almost Straight away, Will Graham still in hospital? No, like a flashback no, no, no. kind of thing. Well, we, we, we could
1: have a flashback, but we're going to jump into just before the ending of the novel Hannibal. Okay. So where is Will Graham at this mm. point? So this is probably around, roughly around the same time that Hannibal and Clarice escape from Muskrat Farm and Paul Crendler's getting his brains eaten. Will is a drunk. He's probably living on some in some like ramshackled little hut in Florida with a deck. He probably spends his day sitting out, looking at the ocean, just drinking scotch. Yeah, I can um, imagine him in like a floral yeah. Like, yeah, Hawaiian shirt. With a scarred shit. face. Yeah, exactly. Like with his lot. scarred fucked Shitty up face. Oh, and just yeah. thinking. Just like fishing maybe, but just like just a wreck. Just like this lonely. Man in this, like, oh, fuck, ramshackle house. Like, shitty
3: shorts. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. And um, think of him like he's probably
1: just, a bit pudgy. Yeah. Like, he's pushing 50 by now. So, like, you know, <clears throat> kind of unshaven, grey beard, sort of like maybe lank hair. Got the bit bloated pudgy, alcoholic kind of, face. Yep, yep. Hollowed eyes, like broken capillaries on his face. And mm. he just sits and just stares out at the water. That's just what he does. Day in, day out. And then, mirroring the opening of Red Dragon, Jack Crawford turns up. Now... Mm. After Red Dragon, because the opening scene of Red Dragon is literally Will Graham and Crawford sitting down at the ocean and talking. Same thing. But after the events of Red Dragon, Jack's going to need a fucking good reason to bring Will back into the fold, right? So, his protege has just run off with a serial killer. That seems up there. Mm-hmm. And this, at, the, at this moment, this is Jack's only choice. Because how else are you going to get Clarice back? Mm. So, he goes to Will. And Will says, go fuck yourself. <laughs> so, Jack dies of his heart attack. But maybe Will starts to think about it. Like now the idea's in his head. He starts to think about Hannibal. He starts to think about the fact that he was left off with this sense of unfinished business and Hannibal's punishment has basically been to just leave him wallowing in self-misery and self-loathing and alcohol for years. And Will starts to consider it. All these wasted years dwelling in his own fucked up, twisted thoughts, losing his family, losing his sanity, all because of Hannibal Lecter. So this could be his chance at retribution. But where does he start? Who is still alive who can point him in the right direction? Jack Crawford's dead, Mm -hmm. Chilton disappeared years ago, Mason Verge Mm. is dead, the only real person left is Barney Vyorderly. So, Will goes to Barney, and Barney's reluctant to say anything, which straight away tells Will Barney knows something. So Will pushes, maybe plays on Barney's affections for Clarice. How could you leave her to that fate if you knew where she was? So Barney caves, he tells Will he saw them in South America in Buenos Aires. Will goes, okay, that's a start. Now, maybe Will starts to visit these people and the National Tatler, the uh, newspaper Freddie Lowndes worked mm. for originally, starts hounding him, oh, starts following him. There's a young reporter <clears throat> who maybe reminds him of a young Freddie Lowndes who follows him around, interviews him, Mr Graham, are you looking for, you mm. looking for Hannibal and the Bride of Hannibal and all this? And Will's getting really pissed off about oh, fuck it. fuck
3: yeah, Bride of Hannibal, so, of course, yeah. they'd
1: have a name for her. They would have a name <gasps> for her, particularly the Tatler. So, you know, he's being harassed. So the next thing Will does, he goes and visits Margot Verger, who in the books is a gigantic bodybuilder who's, like, been ruined by years of uh, steroids abuse. Like in the show, she kills Mason and steals his sperm to impregnate her lover, who isn't Alana Bloom, because in the books Alana Bloom is Alan Bloom, Mm -hmm. who is a minor character in Red Dragon who never turns up again. So Will visits Margot Verger, and being Will Graham and being very good at sort of figuring things out, he quickly realises that Hannibal didn't kill Mason Verger. And he starts to bring that up with Margot, thinks maybe he can use that as leverage, that Margot actually killed her brother and framed Hannibal. But Margot threatens him. She says, I killed my brother. I let a monster escape. I will do whatever I have to to maintain my life. Do not fuck with me. And Will goes, okay, fair enough. (laughs) But he warns her. (laughs) He says to her, he is going to find Hannibal, even if that means delving right back into Hannibal's past and ripping open some old wounds. So Margot best be ready. Whatever's going to happen, Margot best Mm. be ready because Will is going right back into the past to find out what happens. Yeah, yeah. So here's the thing. Will's too smart to think he can actually find Hannibal. Look, they lucked out in Florence with Inspector Patsy and Jack Crawford was the last person left alive in the FBI who really knew what Hannibal was capable of. There's a new generation at the FBI now. Their main focus is going to be terrorism. Mm. Without the backing of the FBI, Will's completely on his own. So what does he do? He has to draw Hannibal out same way he drew out the red dragon almost two decades earlier. So, Will agrees to an interview with the Tatler. He sells it as exclusive information. He tells them in an interview that a confidential source has told him Hannibal Lecter is in South America and Will is going to be following leads. Now, here's the trick. Hannibal's been following the news... Hannibal always loved his own press. Mm -hmm. And here is Will Graham appearing on his radar years after Hannibal found a new plaything. That's enough to get his attention. Plus, and here's the kicker, Will shared the information with the Tatler, not with the FBI. Mm -hmm. The FBI has no reason to listen to a washed-up alcoholic former agent or a shitty gossip rag. But the information that Will mentioned in the interview is correct. Hannibal knows this, which tells Hannibal Will is on his trail but hasn't spoken to the FBI, which means Will is sending one very, very clear message to Hannibal. Come and fucking get me. <sighs> so, the interview runs. Uh-huh. Barney comes to Will, terrified. You've signed my death warrant, he says. Will calmly tells Barney, look, the FBI are on Hannibal's tail. You'll be fine. You know the doctor won't have time to come for you. You're going to be the least of his worries. Barney seems to accept this, oh no. but he's still shaken. He returns home to his Barney. girlfriend. Oh no. The days go by. Barney slowly relaxes, and then Will Graham sees on the news that Barney was found dead. Mm-hmm. The investigation has begun now, and the FBI are looking for Will Graham as a potential mm. suspect/slash witness, but they aren't going to find him because while we see Will Graham watching the news, Will gets to his feet goes to the window and looks out of his hotel room at the expanse of Buenos Aires. Mm Mm-hmm. Now the game's really fucking begun. Back in Baltimore, Margot Verger receives a visitor. Hannibal. So Margot's calm. She hasn't done anything to wrong him. She accepted his gift before. She isn't scared of him. She tells Hannibal Will Graham did come asking questions, but she wouldn't tell him anything, and Hannibal's capture is not in her interest. Clever girl, Hannibal says. Then he politely asks her if she knows where Will Graham is. She doesn't but he said something about Hannibal's past, something about looking back there. Meanwhile, in a large mansion in Buenos Aires, a beautiful, dignified woman hears her doorbell ring. She walks down the carved wooden stairs to her ornate front door. She opens it to come face-to-face with a disfigured, unshaven, middle-aged American man. Hello, Agent Starling, Will says.
4: Mm.
1: I wonder if we can talk. Uh-huh. Meanwhile, in <laughs> Paris, it's almost bedtime at an expensive nursing home. An elderly woman is led to her room. Once the nurses have left, she sets about arranging the flowers in the vase on her windowsill. But hears a voice from the shadowy corner. Hello, my lady. Murasaki doesn't even turn. Hello, Hannibal, she says. Back in Buenos Aires. Clarice pours Will and herself a glass of wine. They sit in the parlour. I saw Jack Crawford, Will says. Before he died, he asked me to find you. Is that why you're here, Clarice asks. Will smiles. You know why I'm here. You want to kill him. You want to stop me, Will says. Why is that? You gave the Bureau your life, Clarice says. You gave them everything and in return all you have left is this. One last hunt when really all you're doing is their dirty work for them. Is that why you left, Will says? Is that why you went over to the other side? Clarice smiles. I haven't gone over to the other side, she says. I wasn't seduced or brainwashed. I just left. Will says, how can you be with him? Clarice replies, I tried to fight the good fight. I was punished for it. So were you. The question is, do you really blame Hannibal or do you blame yourself for giving up your life trying to fight for what's right? Paris. Murasaki and Hannibal sit opposite each other. They haven't been face-to-face in almost 50 years. I want to ask if you've had a visitor, Hannibal says, an American man. I haven't, Murasaki replies. Hannibal thinks. He realises that Will Graham's played him and he just smiles. You're being hunted, Murasaki says. Hannibal nods. If I was the hunter, I wouldn't come here, she replies. I would go where I know I could hurt you or I could have leverage. If the hunter understands you, that's what they would do. Maybe he does. Hannibal rises, gently kisses Murasaki's hand, and Murasaki replies with the same line Hannibal says to Patsy, you've made your own home your gallows. So, Hannibal smiles and leaves the old lady alone. We come to Buenos Aires. Uh Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) The dinner table is set for three. Candles, a bark record playing. The good wine is decanted. Will Graham in his best suit, Clarice Starling in a black dress, and then Hannibal arrives. Hello, Will. Hello, Dr. Lecter. The three sit down. They drink. Your face isn't as bad as I'd expected, Hannibal says. <laughs> Neither is yours, Will replies. Remember that Hannibal had plastic surgery in the novels, so he looks completely ah. different. They've all been scarred. Clarice still has the gunpowder in her cheek from Buffalo Bill. Yeah,
4: yeah. Will's
1: disfigured Hannibal's completely new face. They all are completely different to the people they started out as. So you're here to kill me, Hannibal says. It will be the best thing for you, really. I mean, you've been running from yourself for so long. Killing you would be one thing, Will says, but I'm curious to see if you can be hurt. Points his gun at Clarice. Nobody blinks. Hannibal sips. Now, this is interesting, he says. You'll kill her to hurt me. Maybe we're more alike than I thought. But I do wonder if you'll actually pull the trigger. I'd imagine you could sleep after what you did to Freddie Lowndes. You had the dragon as your proxy, but she's an innocent. Not anymore, Will says. But see, she's not like us, Hannibal tells him. Clarice and I can coexist because unlike Will, Clarice can understand without becoming. She can observe without participating. Mm. Whereas Will is terrified of looking at Hannibal and seeing himself. Clarice's sense of self (sighs) is so strong that she can be with Hannibal without being compromised. Will can't. That's the difference. And this gives Will pause. He looks at Clarice. She smiles back at him, just a cold, spiteful, scornful smile. And as she does, her hand moves and Will pulls the trigger. Clarice is blasted out of her chair. Hannibal rises, knife immediately in hand, but Will's not having any of it. Knife in hand, Will's own blade comes up right into Hannibal's stomach and he pulls it up, gutting him like Hannibal did years ago. And he's looking Hannibal in the eyes. His teeth are bared, his eyes are wild. He's like, there you go, now you son of a bitch, there you fucking go. And he stares at Hannibal, like waiting to see his enemy finally terrified of him. And Hannibal just smiles. Oh my God! And falls away. And will we standing there, breathing heavily, the knife in his hand, covered in blood. He hears the sirens. Mm-hmm. He looks at the knife in his hand, he looks at Clarice, he looks at Hannibal, the blood's slowly pulling out. And then he staggers over to the doors that open out into the terrace. And he walks out into the terrace. It's a clear night sky. Stars, full moon, the city in front yeah, of him. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he can see the lights of the police cars approaching. And he looks down his bloodied hands, and it really does look black in the moonlight.
2: Oh, the god. end! <laughs> <laughs> so good!
1: Fuck yes!
3: Like, oh my god, fucking yeah, Will becomes the fuck, yeah. Like a literally, like a, a literary boner? How do you say that? <laughs> what's, what's the word? What's the word I want to say? Literary boner. Right? There we go.
1: Literary boner.
3: Ah, oh, fuck. No, that would be so fucking cool. Like,
1: if... And yes, just... Hannibal, that's Hannibal's final victory, right? Yeah, like, Hannibal's final victory will... is turning Will. Even if Hannibal dies in the process, it doesn't matter. Yeah. You can even argue that everything with Clarice yeah. was about breaking Will. Uh... Now, the only problem I had with this is that Clarice doesn't have much to mm. do, but it, it is Will's story. <laughs> mm. It's not really Clarice or Hannibal's story. So at the end of the day, like I could have, I would have rather a bigger role for her. But it's about Will Graham. Yeah, it's I, about Will I'm Graham. I'm not quite sure what
2: you, you'd want it to do. It would feel with like you're cramming Clarice. too much in if you try and give Clarice kind Look, of something yeah, different. Yeah, and I
1: thought about it. I was like, who do I like? Who do I want to walk out at the end? It was like I don't really want Hannibal to walk out. I like the idea that Will has walked out, but he's defeated. Like mm. Hannibal has mm. won. Will might kill him and walk out alive, mm. but he's turned into. Yeah, he's turned into everything he was terrified of. Exactly. To me, that's a satisfying ending because
3: I think you you could really stretch it out. Like you'd have the conversation, this sort of like with you know Clarice, Hannibal, and Will. That could go on for quite some time. Oh yeah, yeah. You'd have this like almost several chapters
1: of almost just a fucking (laughs) and (laughs) And dinner party. chess game building tension, building tension, building tension until the moment Will pulls the trigger and Will has to kill Clarice because otherwise it's just revenge. But Will has to kill Clarice. Because she's still an innocent. That's the crucial thing, is that she is still an innocent. Mm. She can connect to Hannibal without becoming him.
3: Yes, I love that idea. I do love that characterization of Clarice, mm. that she does can. She can observe. She can do what Will yeah. couldn't, which is exactly he exactly. has to, you know, have that empathetic link where it's sort of he just becomes what Hannibal And Clarice is.
1: can understand without having any fear of being personally compromised.
3: Yeah, and I do like the reason of her leaving, in a sense, is because she got fucked over pretty hard by the FBI. Repeatedly. It's a
2: legitimate reason to want to... Leave and to probably also be with Hannibal, it's kind of almost like this fuck you to the FBI. Yeah, Mm. I know, right?
3: So during that time, as Hannibal, has he been killing and eating as people? (laughs) I I, I,
1: don't know. Because how far
3: does Clarice go down the rabbit hole in a sense? Like, how far? Well,
1: I kind of think, like, in the novel Hannibal, it talks about that, like, the years he spends in Florence, Mm. he barely kills anyone. Mm. Like, he barely kills anyone when he's in Florence. And that's because he's sort of at peace with where he is in his surrounds and his freedom. And I wonder if that's kind of the same now that he's with Clarice. Mm. Like maybe he's he would kill for necessity mm. and he might, but I wonder if like he's not really killing anyone because he never struck me as a character who was like a slave to his compulsions. Yeah, like the whole, I have a dark passenger. Yeah, yeah exactly. I don't, I don't yeah, feel like yeah, Hannah was the kind of character who needs to sort of like, you know sate his fucked up psyche on a regular yeah. basis. Like, you know, he's pretty comfortable with who he is and he can just stop for a while. Mm. I
3: was wondering, is it kind of like like in, in, in the TV series with Bedelia having, um, you know, her, her in Florence how she's just eating, you know, figs and whatnot Yeah, yeah. Hannibal oysters. still does kill? Hmm?
2: Figs and oysters. Figs and oysters. While yeah, Hannibal maybe it is. Hannibal just sort of
3: um, kills kind of thing. And like how complacent would Clarice be in that situation as well is what I'm sort of wondering. Because yeah. at this point, you know, yeah, she's eating brain. Yeah. Um, yeah. So... There is that kind of thing
1: of oh well she she did kind of participate but then again she was kind of pretty drug fucked at that. Well, that's exactly it. I mean, I don't. I feel like there might have been a part at the end of the novel that says that they haven't really been killing anyone, or Mm. maybe I, I could be thinking about something else. But um, but yeah, like I kind of feel like that is sort of be that that will sort of be the state of affairs at the end there. Yeah. But yeah, like I don't know. To me, it's a to me what's fascinating is like taking Clarice and Will Graham and sort of playing that act of comparison and saying, what sets these two apart? These are sort of Hannibal's two playthings and fascinations. Mm. What's the difference? And to me, it's that Clarice is more interesting to Hannibal because she won't be compromised. Mm. Like, and I think that's sort of the point of the ending of the novel that a lot of people miss. Like, the whole thing is that Hannibal tries to brainwash her to make her Misha, his sister. And he tries to make her his sister. Like, you know, it's that idea of bringing the teacup back together and finding a place for Misha. And Clarice tells Hannibal, I'm not Misha. I will never mm. be Misha. I won't vacate my own place to make one for your sister. Mm. He, she's, I think what she actually says is, is, if I can find a place within myself for my father to live, then you have to find a place within yourself for Misha to live. Yeah, And so it's her kind of changing mm. him in the end. Yeah. Not changing his essence, but, but sort of... Yeah. And it's the fact that her personality is so strong that she's like, I will come with you, but I won't be what you want me to be. I mm. will still be myself.
3: Mm. Definitely. I think you could also add a little bit more in the middle, like again, with the whole... Um, with Will Graham telling Margot that like, I'm coming for Hannibal's past you could yeah, almost have yeah. a, a red herring where he sort of does go into Hannibal's past or it's alluded to that he's doing just, this kind of stuff. Or just enough
1: to lead Hannibal
3: to in lead, that direction. Yeah, so Hannibal to lead thinks, us as a yeah, reader
1: to that So Hannibal soon. thinks he's gone for Murasaki so of course yeah. Hannibal goes for Murasaki not realising that Will has actually mm. gone to Buenos Aires.
3: <clears> yeah and that, and that way you can almost have him again if you want to really like fuck you to Hannibal Rising. Um... To kind of have a Will maybe investigating a little bit
1: of Hannibal's past and yeah. finding like these conflicting like, stories. Like, yeah, yeah. Here's what actually happened. Like Murasaki says one thing, Inspector Pop Hill says another thing. Yeah. Hannibal had another thing on record to Dr. Chilton in the asylum. Like yeah. all different things. And there's like, you know, he's stories, going yeah. through
3: some articles, like in some old newspapers, that kind of stuff, medical records, this kind of shit, where it's like, it's clearly not adding up. Yeah. So yeah. It's, it's really putting in this big shadow of doubt over the narrative that we Over was, everything we think we know. Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, Which exactly. would be a really nice thing to have. Again, when you have like a big movie bad, or even sorry, movie bad, but a big bad or a villain who's in a sense bigger than what he is, yeah. And again, it's that sort of uh, uh, having that majestic of like, what is his past? We actually don't fucking know shit. We were told this story, but apparently this is all just bullshit. Kind of like again, but that's the what's Dark so Knight. interesting about. I think,
1: yeah, yeah, like with yeah. the joke, and that's what's so interesting about Mickelson's Hannibal is that there are sort of clashing ideas of where he's come from, and because it's not answered, he remains interesting. Exactly. Whereas the moment you bring in Hannibal Rising, it's like Nazis ate his sister, so he decided <laughs> to also eat people, which <laughs> wouldn't he be... Okay. I want to say it's more complicated than that, but it's actually not really. Yeah, like wouldn't
3: that be is what be is? A, yeah. like, wouldn't he... Be, like, against Canada? I don't think you'd want to eat people ever again. <laughs> yeah, but, like, I think that would turn yeah. me personally <laughs> a vegetarian. Yes. Uh, Maybe uh, yes. go vegan.
2: I don't know. Maybe. Love that cheese, yep. though. Um, no, but I think the idea of, of not knowing Hannibal's story, uh, as us as the reader and everyone getting these little bits of information, speaks to really who Hannibal is mm. as a character, that he is such an enigma and he is a compulsive liar. Mm he yeah. is you know that's that's he that's how he survives he has to be like he can't walk around being like ate a dude today <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah classic Hannibal the cannibal <laughs> um what up what up my
3: name wasn't Hannibal but I think it rhymed better with cannibal, yeah. so yeah. that's why I changed what it up?
2: <laughs> but yeah like he obviously he spends his whole time lying about who he is so why not just pile on that mm-hmm. and just Be like, yeah, here's one bullshit story about my childhood. Here's another bullshit story. Yeah, do the whole Joker thing where it's (laughs) like you don't know which one's true, if any of them. Yeah.
3: I think that'd be a really nice little uh, plot thread you could follow with Will Yeah, and there's a lot I
1: think there's a lot you could do there. I mean, obviously this is like a broad strokes Mm. thing I wrote in the bus on the way in. But um Well done. (laughs) (laughs) I'm excited. (laughs) Um but like yeah, I think definitely in the middle there, like particularly the stuff with Barney, you know, you Mm. can build up a bit more. And to me, like the reason Lecter would kill Barney is because, you know, there was always this like Barney was always spared because he was courteous mm. to Hannibal, but the idea that the moment Will says, "I know Hannibal's in South America," Hannibal's like, "Fucking Barney told yeah. him." So Hannibal's like, "I'm going to Barney to find out what else Will knows." Oh, uh, and you could have that. Like, um,
3: you don't have a scene where, well, like, Hannibal's like, "Oh Barney, you've been sort of telling, like, telling stories out of school or whatever it is." Yeah, kind of, like, exactly. Exactly <laughs> to be like, you know, Something. you're a fucking tattletale kind of yeah. thing.
1: Yeah, <sighs> and then, and you know, like, and I, I really like this idea that we sort of dr- bring it all back to Red Dragon, like mm-hmm. we, because we, yeah. you know. Silence of the Lambs, there's a couple of references to Will Graham. and Otherwise, it doesn't reference Red Dragon or Francis Dolarhyde or the events of that at all. Mm. By the time of Hannibal, it's just not mentioned. Mm. Like, it's just not mentioned at all. Like, I don't think the events of Red Dragon are alluded to once in Hannibal. That's just disappointing. Yeah, it no, is. No, it's not. Yeah, right, like, it's, it's, it's not. really, Red Dragon kind of sits a little bit aside. Like, Hannibal and Silence are, like, oh. I, I call it a trilogy, and it is, it is a trilogy, but it's not like the events of Red Dragon really set up. Like, Silence is a totally standalone novel. Yeah. um, Yeah, you could you could start at Silence. You could start at Silence. I mean, you'd be missing out because I think Mm. Red Dragon is the best of the books. But you could just start at Silence quite Mm. easily. You could start at Silence, read Hannibal, and then go back to reading Hannibal Rising. And there is no information in Red Dragon that is crucial, Mm. like because Hannibal Rising ends with him still on the run, and Red Dragon doesn't start with him being captured. So it's not like you even see him being captured Mm. in Red Dragon. Like you just he's already in prison. so like I would love to kind of bring this hypothetical novel back to Red Dragon with the blood in the moonlight reference. Yeah, at the that end. was fucking mm. great. With, I was like, the show did it too. Yeah, and, and yeah, yeah, like it. You know, have that in there. Um, bring it all back to Red Dragon. Bring it back to Will so using the same trick he did by using the Tatler to draw hide out. Mm. by using it to draw Hannibal back to America yeah. so he can get to Buenos Aires first and confront Clarice and try to get his answers. Yeah. Because the will be a element of this is finding answers, right? Yeah. And sort of finding out who he is and where he stands after everything that's happened to him and everything he's lost. Mm. And you, there's so much you could play with as well that you've got, again, I love the idea of like the bride of Hannibal.
3: Like, yeah, even yeah. exploring that through like the media and how. Oh yeah, and the Tatler would be going yeah. nuts for that. Like, yeah, because like, the
1: Tatler stays in universe. S- starred FBI agent Clary Starling is now the bride. What of they Hannibal. call her? What do they call her in the novel? Hannibal? They call her like the Bride of Death or something, the Tatler does, because, like, the Tatler stays in Universal 3 is mm. like, this horrible gossip rag that has a peculiar obsession with FBI agents. Yeah. And, like, you know, <laughs> like, is, Freddie Lowndes is, like, writing all the stuff about Will Graham, and even by the time of the novel Hannibal, the Tatler is just, like, talking lots and lots about Clarice Starling and, like, you know, kind of ragging on her endlessly. So, like, you know, you can kind of bring that back into play and, like, bring all of those kind of elements of Red Dragon back into play. And to me, that kind of makes, if you... Fuck off Hannibal Rising, which obviously I don't because I included Murasaki because I just kind of would like to see where mm, that relationship yeah. would sit now. Um, and I, no, think that I, th- these I think there's ele- elements hits, that you can yeah. take. And like, like, as
3: we've said, if you kind of have this idea where we have a bit of a doubt about if that
1: story happened or not. Yes. That I kind exactly. of Exactly. And so like. that's a good way to kind of make Hannibal Rising – it's like – essentially Hannibal Rising is like a bonus. Mm. Like to me, if yeah. you do like yeah. a trilogy <laughs> as good as it is, but then you it's, add this It's in the and extras and it, function on the DVD <laughs> Yeah, exactly, that's what it
3: exactly. Is. It's like the a
1: little D'Artagnan. Sort of, yeah, 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 he's the D'Artagnan of the yeah. – uh, I think
3: I made the exact same, same yeah. joke yeah. in yeah. the other one.
1: <laughs> yeah, Yeah. But yeah, then so, you know, you start with Red Dragon, and I like this sort of like – Cycles. You know, you start with Hannibal, with uh, Will Graham and Jack Crawford sitting on the beach, mm. and Jack Crawford's trying to bring him back. And you open this fourth novel with the exact same thing, except now they're both older men, mm. and they're both kind of grizzled. And it's no longer being like we have to go out and get the bad guys because, like, there's a, there's a definite sense of like we need to stop these freaks in Red Dragon. Yeah, but you forget the Red Dragon was written in 1981, mm. and it does show at times. Mm. Like it's um. It's a, it's got elements that are a little bit racist. Just a little. Just a little a different times. Just and different times. All back black then. people, I think are just referred to as Negroes. Just different Isn't time. It? Like it's different a, time. Yeah, 80? Oh. Different time. 81. Written in the 70s. Different like it's, time back then. It's very, yeah, it's. And then I don't know, there's um and yeah, there's definitely a sense of kind of particularly with Jack Crawford, who's a very one-note character in Red Dragon mm. and becomes a lot more interesting in silence and Hannibal. But there's definitely a note with Jack Crawford where he's like, you know, we need to get these damn freaks. Mm. We need to stop them. And Will Graham's kind of saying same. There's a lot of son of a bitch being thrown around mm. and uh, those goddamn freaks and stuff like that. So I like the idea, though, that that's reflective of these guys as these young, not young, but like, you know, 30s, 40s FBI agents, like going out and getting the bad guys. And now they're just these broken, sad old men sitting mm. there on a beach. And it's completely personal now. It's no longer we're going out and doing what's right. Now it's... I want, I want to save my protege from what I think is a fate worse than death. And put Graham being like, like previously said, I don't want to come back. So the last time I got gutted, was like, I don't want to come back because I did come back and now I don't have a face or yeah. a wife anymore. Yeah. Hooray for me. And or I'm, sanity. So yeah. thanks for that, Crawford, you fuck.
3: Like, and you could really have him being this nihilistic character. Absolutely. And Absolutely. to be just, you know, again, like I don't care. Like I don't care about anything. It's all meaningless kind of stuff, but...
1: If I want to leave one impact, it's going to be to fucking kill him. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Because what else has he got left? Exactly. And I like that. I like the grizzled, older, you know, alcoholic, like bloodshot Mm. eyes, sort of sunken face, Will Graham just kind of like, you know, holding his scotch on the rocks and like staring out to the sea and just seething, like for years on end, just sitting there and seething. (laughs) And now finally, like, you know, he's been pushed, like Jack Crawford comes and gives him a push. And he realizes, well, that's going to be what I have to do. Like, yeah. after all this, because maybe he didn't go after Hannibal when Hannibal first escaped, because back then he was still, it was recent enough that he could still think, well, maybe I'll get through this. Mm. Maybe, maybe, I don't know. But then by this point, he's like, well, it's been almost two decades since this stuff happened with the Red Dragon, and I'm more fucked up than I ever was. And maybe now the only possible solution is for me to go after Hannibal Lecter and try to end this on my own terms. And, of course, the beautiful irony is he does end it on his own terms, but they're not actually his terms. They're They're Hannibal's terms. That's kind of what Hannibal wanted all along.
3: (laughs) And just, like, a big old
1: fucking grin as he just dies. Yeah, Yeah, and Hannibal just looks at him with a big fuck you smile, and that's just, that's it. Like, it kind of creates this whole overarching story of Hannibal being like, I'm going to prove that Will Graham is fucked in the head. And that's what he does in the end. From the start of Red Dragon to the end of this hypothetical book five, that's the story. That's crazy. That's fucking amazing. Uh, Got a title for it?
2: I don't. Mm. I don't. Gabe's perfect. (laughs) (laughs) On the red dragon again, the Hannibal dragon. falling, Hannibal
1: falling. <laughs> if you want yeah. to include Hannibal Rising and make it kind of cyclical, yeah, yeah.
3: Hannibal I Rising
2: don't. up one more time, like a phoenix from the ashes, Hannibal Part Five.
3: <laughs> yes, <laughs> like the, the 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 dragon cometh, the dragon again. Yeah, or something even will becoming the dragon kind of. Yeah, thing. I like that. I really like that. Mm, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. It's something there. Well, if you guys out there have a have an idea of what we could call this, uh, email us in, soundsbansradio gmail.com, or just tweet us. Because, uh, fuck, man, I would love to read a fifth
1: Thomas Harris book. I know. Oh, God. Has I he will come... forgive him for Hannibal Rising. Has he come out and <laughs> said anything about it? He's Yeah, it's not your, fu- he's Thomas Harris, your it's fault. He's very your fault. Yeah, Thomas, we fault. don't blame you, Thomas Harris. No hard, hard feelings. <laughs> he He's spoken through Martha De Laurentiis a couple of times, who's the producer of the show who was the producer of some of the latter films. And Because um, Thomas Harris is, like, notoriously reclusive, mm. um, doesn't give <clears throat> interviews, doesn't talk to people, et etc. et cetera. But he But um, apparently he said that he really likes the show.
2: Oh, that's um, nice.
1: So, like he said, you know, he really likes it. He thinks that Mads is sometimes a bit hard to understand, but that's, like, his only criticism, and otherwise he really loves it. Oh. Um, and he kind of likes the fact that I, th- I think, you know, he was sort of – last thing I heard was that he'd been quite, like – taken aback by the fact that he's got this whole new generation of fans now. Yeah. And he's like, I don't even have anything to do with the show, but still great. Like, yeah. you know, and I think it seems Thanks, like... guys, I
2: like money. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: So it seems like, you know, he's sort of... Yeah, I, I mean, I don't know. Like, if he if Thomas Harris came out tomorrow and was like... Because he hasn't written a book since Hannibal Rising, which was 2006. Did he do, like, a, a, a book series set in Rome? No, 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 no. He's all The only That's books he's written dead. are The Four Hannibals and a novel called Black Sunday, which was written in the 70s, which is, like, a terrorism story, oh. which I haven't read but um but yeah so like you know it's been a while so if he came but he like to be fair like black sunday was like 78 or something red Mm. dragon was 81 silence was 87 hannibal was 97 and then hannibal rising was 2006 so like on average it's been almost 10 years between books yeah so next year maybe (laughs) hey maybe like i mean if he i don't know like it's it's hard to see him sort of coming back to it but like He's probably
2: a really old man by now. He's probably he's in tired. his
1: seventies, like early seventies. So he's yeah, not old, old. Oh, there you go. Um, but yeah, so like, I mean, I think I think there's room for more, and I would accept more if there was more. But I think I think the good thing is that the show sort of rejuvenated interest a bit. Whereas I think if a couple of years ago he came out and said, "I'm releasing a new Hannibal novel," there'd be a sense of, "Oh, you're beating a dead horse." Yeah. Whereas now there's a whole sort of new generation of fans. <laughs> Who I think would, you know, they're thirsty be, for more content. Exactly, and I'd be I'd line up yeah, yeah. first to read a new Hannibal Lecter novel by Thomas Harris. And I, I sort of thought it was a foregone conclusion by now that it wouldn't happen, but now you know who knows. Like yeah. the show, there's there's a certain school of thought that says that the novel Hannibal never would have happened if Silence the film hadn't been such a big hit. Like mm. some people say that he only wrote that novel like in response to the film being a huge hit and Hannibal Lecter becoming this like iconic character. Mm. So. Who knows? Like, the response to the show might actually prompt him to sort of write that conclusion, particularly the response to Will Graham, who'd kind of been forgotten as a character yeah. in the wake of Science of the Lambs. Mm. So, I mean, look, I don't know. I don't know. Like, who am I to tell that kind of genius yeah. what to do? I mean, this, is, this <laughs> More, idea is, like, what I want from it. And like, you know, I'd, I'd love to see some resolution to Will Graham. Mm. I'd love to see Hannibal and Will Graham come back face-to-face again. And I mean, look, the show will give us that, but, I mean, how good would it to be it, to see it from Thomas Harris himself? I know. Like, where man. he thinks... His create, creation should go. Was, has yeah.
3: Brian, because I, I, I haven't really followed a lot of the back behind the scenes kind of uh, thing with the show, did
1: uh, Brian Fuller ever kind of have a conversation with Thomas Harris? I don't think about so. Him? No, I think Fuller actually said he's never. Never met Thomas Harris or heard like everything he hears from Thomas Harris comes through from, yeah. the producer who is quite good friends with Thomas
3: Harris. Oh, okay, so so is
2: that kind of reclusive? Like, yeah, wow. yeah, he's very like, reclusive.
3: Yeah. Yeah. So I would think that they would have this sort of you'd want almost to have um, you know just even half an hour chat or an hour chat to kind of like pick your brain about these characters. Oh, or they yeah, want them, yeah, to go kind of thing because like there's part of me that it's like I kind of want Brian Fuller to be like, look, it's done, it's over. We're, we're, I'm sorry, there's, there's no more. Shut However, your mouth here are the scripts and, like, the spec oh, yeah, scripts yeah. and here's the ideas that we were playing with so we can just kind of see it all and be like, oh, that would have been great. But that's mm. just like, I have no self-control and, you know, yeah. gratification. But I think that's the reason now, he please.
1: hasn't um he hasn't released any of that stuff because, mm. and, like, bear in mind, Fuller's very forthcoming to his fans. All yeah. the scripts for the TV show are on his website. Mm. I had a great day downloading all the screenplays and having a read. They're fucking fantastic. Awesome. Like, to sort of read, like, how he writes and, like, how he... Sort of explains things in there and how he structures them. It's brilliant because I'm a big and like um, I love Brian Fuller's work. Like uh, you're pushing
2: daisies. I haven't seen any of his oh. other work. I like I need pushing daisies. Yeah, so
1: great. But he's and he's
3: you what know like very forthcoming mm-hmm. on Twitter. What else
2: has he done?
1: Uh, pushing dead daysies. like me, wonderfuls, like Wonderful. Yeah, Wonderfalls. yeah. Um, yeah. I've I mean seen there's an... three
2: of the his four shows. I don't know what wonderfuls is.
1: It's his very first show. Yeah. I don't know really okay. anything about it. It's um Alana Bloom is the main character, but I don't know. There's this thing with Fuller. I think he's almost forthcoming to a fault because I feel like I knew most of what was going to happen in Hannibal season three just from obsessively following interviews with him. Mm. Like he gives stuff away a lot, um, which is okay because, you know, I don't think plot twists. I mean, I think Hannibal, the show was great at plot Mm. twists, but like it's more, I don't know if that's sort of the main reason you watch the show. No, like, I'm no,
3: just,
2: like, for you, the characterization yeah, and the like,
1: psychology stuff.
2: Yeah, well, if just, you could give me a full script, and I'd still watch yeah, the episode. Yeah, same. Like, oh you, yeah, we've yeah. read
3: the books, we've read the source material. Yeah. You know, we know where we're, you know, we know that yeah, the you know, Francis Dollarhide is going to have this. It's going to be a showdown. It's going to happen yeah. this way. Mm. But like, how it happened
1: was not how I envisioned it happening. And that's kind and, of, and that's what I love about are people on still surprise me. I saw some people like on Reddit complaining about the Red Dragon adaptation purely because they were like, oh, it wasn't really faithful to the book. And I was oh, like, fuck off. This is a book that we've not only <laughs> yeah. have you read the book, it's been adapted for cinema relatively faithfully twice. Yeah. Like I don't need to see the exact same Beats yeah. of Red Dragon play out again. There's a novelty factor. Like the of particularly course. the first couple of episodes of the Red Dragon arc, which stuck very closely to the book, mm. I remember saying like there's a real novelty. Red Dragon's a film Red Dragon and Manhunter are both films I've seen many times. A novel I've read many times. And to see that like to see these characters who I've followed for a couple of years on TV playing out the beats of Red Dragon and saying these familiar lines, there's a real surreal novelty factor to that. But I feel like that would also get tired very quickly mm. if they stuck really close to Red Dragon well, all the way through that. Arc. Well, I think yeah. we've
2: seen that with um, Gus Van Sant's Psycho. You can't yeah, make you, a, you, you can't point? make a shot for shot. Like, there's what's no point.
3: The point?
1: Mm. What are but, we going to get out of it? Like I, I
3: you know when you when you grow up like and you sort of go go through life a bit and you start at one point particularly in your teens, and say you you start you know experiencing film and looking at this kind of stuff, and then you know you grow older and you sort of re go back and you revisit rewatch et cetera et cetera you know your opinion change and like i, I coming from a huge comic book nerd uh, as a teenager and kind of reading those comics and that kind of stuff, and growing up with the T V the, the cartoon t v series of x men and you know seeing how you know how they would take stories from the comics and pretty much almost lift them you know, verbatim and just chuck them on the screen. It was great. And there would be a part of me, again, if I had been a huge Hannibal fan, if I was, say, maybe 13, 14 now, huge Hannibal fan, read all the books and then was watching Hannibal, the TV series, yeah, there'd be a huge part of me being like, it's not faithful to the books. I would be the same, I think. At that age, I was that weirdly obsessed, maybe entitled, I think. I don't know if that's the right
1: word. But but then, and how is this putting things in perspective, the same year, 2005, when I first read the books and became very obsessed, was the year that the fourth Harry Potter film came Mm. out, which is my favourite of the Harry Potter films, partly because it is the least faithful. Mm. Because unlike many of the other films, that one actually realises a film is a film and a book is a book, and a TV show is a TV show. Yeah, You can't be completely faithful to it. It's like, you know, you look at Game of Thrones and uh, particularly in the later season they have made some very shitty adaptation choices. (laughs) But at the same time, there are some like really strong adaptation choices they've made because you just can't have Mm. all the superfluous characters George R.R. Martin has just fucking about. So, you know, they change things. And I think, you know, I've never been, I actually think some of the worst films I've seen are like Watchmen. I I was literally about to to bring it up. The only thing they change is the end. Otherwise, it's literally shot for shot the same as the comic. Yeah. Have you read the comic? Yeah. You really? Yeah. And you're like, the, I find it too I, faithful. You're saying, like way too I, I faithful. I to the point too f- where it becomes mm. static and mm. like and stale and stagnant. No, I like love it there's moments in that
3: in the film. I was like, oh my god, come on, really? Like the moment yeah. where they're fucking and the jets go
1: off and the I'm like, really? Yeah, what the fuck is this? Like, read the book? Oh shit, it's, it's there. Actually it's in actually in the comic. Too, in the comic. Yeah. Oh my god. And the little moments in Watchmen, but here's the most telling thing. The best moments in Watchmen are like how the ending actually
3: sense yeah it makes so much more sense, yeah, uh, yeah, so much more like, sense. Like, well uh, yeah there's, a, there's an argument for,
1: yeah but it, <laughs> because the world's gonna be like no that, was still, America, <laughs> that was still america's fault that that yeah america's that's, a, that's a very good point <laughs> but like I, I think it could have been worked a little bit better but i also think like it sort of fit instead of being like gigantic <laughs> vagina monster from mm. outer space and sort of like fit with the story a bit more maybe but and, and then but like the other great deviation of watchman's isn't even a deviation that was just like showing that there was some imagination in the film, is the opening credits. Yeah. Oh, I love Like, it. amazing. Yeah, that. Still amazing. That is still, like, like one of my favourite yeah. intros of, of a film, really. Easily. 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 Mm-hmm. And, it like, you know, film. it's, I don't know, adaptation to me, that's, and look, it can be done really well. Like, the Science of the Lambs film is incredibly faithful to mm. the book. Like, they're very, very close. Mm. The differences are superficial at best. Yeah. Like, a couple of characters emerged. A couple of things are simplified. That's it. Yeah. Like, they're very, very close. And so, um, uh, uh, but it's still great. Science of the Lambs, the mm. film, is still one of my all-time favourite movies.
3: Yeah. And I think with adaptations, it, you need to kind of have this idea that certain things work and certain things don't. And sometimes... You know, you can go one or two ways. You can have something which is like Hannibal TV series, which is that you taken and borrowed borrow from, like, a source material, and you're just going to take little bits of pieces and kind of put their own spin. Or you've got something like Watchmen, which, look, I know you like the film, and look, it had its great moments, but I felt that it was too close to the source material without, and, and also was lacking, say, like, Night Owl. It didn't have its own identity. Like should have just, been a yeah. bit more fatter. It, it, it was kind of, it... it you know, Watchmen... It had book. no heart, but God, yeah. it looked beautiful. It did. It did look beautiful. And that's yeah, what that's Zack Snyder just... is good at doing, making Zach things look beautiful. I don't like admitting that Zack Snyder's films something,
2: but... He makes... No, <laughs> yeah, Zack Snyder does. makes beautiful he, looking does. films, he does. but God Aesthetic. damn, mm. they suck. Like,
3: yeah. it, it lacked that heart. Yeah, it lacked, it lacked heart. that almost depress, depressing feeling of reading The Watchmen. Yeah. The, the Watchmen you just like, feel sorry for all of them. They're yeah. all just such shit people, and that's why... In the the film, film, you just didn't get that. They're just kind of pretty people. But I've heard the director's cut or extended cut or whatever it is, is apparently like the one that's like eight hours long is a lot better.
2: Let's do that. (laughs) Yes, sweet, sign me up.
3: Um, And then you've got something on the other end of the spectrum, which is Wanted, the uh, film, which has literally nothing, like nothing at all to do with... The uh, source material, like the source material, is this weird idea of being like the world is run by supervillains, and we're talking like actual fucking supervillains. There is a Superman who has Down syndrome. It is an amazing comic book because it's a big homage to like what's come beforehand, and just turning everything in a dime. And you have all these fucking villains. You've got like Shithead, who is basically sentient shit. It's made up of like six hundred and sixty six pieces of shit of the most evil people who have ever lived right it's fucking weird and wes wesley or wesley he's wesley he's the main character um and he's the son of this super villain whose power because they all have fucking powers there's a fucking interdimensional imp in the fucking comics there's a his power is to kill people he just knows how to fucking kill people and that's all he does he, he's that's his power and that is not in the film at all. There the is film no, was
2: not about superheroes. Yeah,
3: like the, there's no loom of fate in the in the comic. I haven't seen the film or the. The, the film,
2: film is about Angelina Jolie doing something. Yeah, and James McAvoy. And they McEvoy. bend bullets. Like yeah, they bend bullets. That's all I yeah. can remember from that film. It's it's Chris a, Pratt is in it. Yeah, very briefly for a second. And it's it's
3: it's weird that that is something that was, was apparently May. an adaptation. But. So you have these weird ideas, like, not good ideas, but these weird concepts of what adaptations are. And you kind of have these like this sort of spectrum of being really true to the source. and To a fault. To a and fault. And too far away. To too far fault. away to a fault. To the point where it's like, I think this was a script for something else
1: that they just slapped the name what's on. What's curious about adaptation in this case mm. is the fact that like, I the Hannibal TV series, I think, could also get away with it because... Really famous, well known films had already adapted the books in a faithful Mm -hmm. way. So, to me, like, there's, like, as a fan of this franchise from a long time, like, I found the show so rewarding. It's like the scene in Game of Thrones in season four where Brienne and the hound beat the shit out of each other. Yeah. On the one hand, that didn't happen in the books. Mm. But on the other hand, it might as well have because the character's in the same area in the timeline of the books and the hound, like, you know, falls because of, like, a bite that gets infected so why not have the two of them fight because to the fans it's like well who would win the fight between brian the hound sweet let's find out Mm -hmm. and it was a great scene it was a great fight scene but, like, there's no reason for it not to be there. And it's satisfying as a fan to find something that's not in the books and be like, oh, yes, sweet. Now I don't know what's going to happen because, mm. you know, this is new. Same yeah. as, like, Jon Snow going and, like, fucking up the uh, Renegade Night's Watch people at Crass's Keep. Yeah. Why the fuck mm. not? That was in the book, but why the fuck not? Gave us some cool action and had that thing with Bran being caught. And it was like, that's not faithful, but I also don't know what's going to happen. So to exactly. me, it adds a whole new element of tension. And that's what I love about the Hannibal TV show. But, like, I don't, yeah, I don't know. Like, I just feel like. Yeah, it it can get away with it for that reason, but like it, as a fan, it felt like Easter eggs and payoff and um, things I really want to see happen were mm. all in there. But at the same time, like I wonder, I read this thing online the other day that said if you were introducing the Hannibal sort of franchise as a whole to someone, do you start with the movies, the books, or the show? TV show. Well, yes and no. I think no, the TV that shows... was,
2: it was my answer. And oh yeah, the answer oh yeah. Was... Right. Oh, that's what you <laughs> The TV yeah. show.
1: But it. The thing is, like the TV show. I know know plenty and plenty of people who've gotten to the TV show with no knowledge of the books Mm. or even the movies. Mm. But to me, I think my experience of the TV show was so rewarding because I knew the books already and because I knew the films already. And to me, like, the TV show took on this whole new depth for that exact reason. Yeah. But at the same time, like, it's a tall order to say, okay, I want to get you into this thing, but read this trilogy of books first. exactly. Then watch all these films and Mm -hmm. then watch three seasons of this (laughs) TV show.
2: I think... Sorry, I I think that Hannibal the TV show, like, because I watched it with maybe like obviously seeing Silence of the Lambs because you yeah. just do because it, it's, it's always on, it's always <laughs> and funny. it's a great film. It's yeah. it's just one of those iconic films that you just watch at some point in your life. But that's all that and Red Dragon were the only ones that I'd seen. And going into it, like Hannibal, because it doesn't touch on any of that stuff till right at the end, mm. you're kinda just like this is its own show. Like we know we know yeah. Hannibal the the cannibal. Like we mm. know everyone knows that. So that's part a part of pop culture. Like everyone knows that. So you don't have to really know too much about it to go in. But I will admit that the the half, second half of the third season, when it was Red Dragon, was super rewarding because I was like,
1: "Yeah, right." Yeah, even just having some familiarity. Mm. Like, I mean, because even in the earlier seasons, like, there's a lot of like snippets of dialogue and exchanges that are taken from the books Mm -hmm. and from the movies and are like little homages all the way through to the point where Fuller actually said by the time we got to Red Dragon, it was difficult because we'd already mined Red Dragon for so much dialogue (laughs) and stuff that like they sort of had to do more of their own thing for that reason because they'd already Mm. used so much like the burning wheelchair, for example. Mm. Um, But I mean, I don't know, like it's, I would say that ideally if I was going to introduce someone to this, I'd get them to watch Science of the Lambs. Like, if I could actually hold someone's attention enough. In a perfect world, yeah. I'd be like, read the books, then watch the movies, then watch the show. But I think Science of the Lambs is a good way to be like, watch this. If you like this, you're probably going to like the books. You might as well check them out, give them a read, then yeah. maybe watch the rest of the movies, then watch the TV show. Because I just, like, obviously the TV show really works for people who don't have much familiarity with this. Because, yeah, I was going to say, because you, you, yeah. like, you could launch someone and just like, hey, but watch just this TV But I think it's that series. much better if you... Sort of know and get to see yeah, like yeah. these these iconic books, not only. Adapted, but like subverted in ways that are very fan servicey, which is just like rewarding to no end. <laughs> yeah. Like it, it gives cause... it this whole other level. On the one hand, you're enjoying the show and you're enjoying the plot mm. and the, the plot, the twists and the characters. On the other hand, there's the interview being like, oh, that line's from Red Dragon. Oh, that line's from Hannibal. Oh, cool. That's like what happened in Hannibal, except now it's happening that way. It's yeah, happening to that character no. instead
3: of that. And it's really cool. And that's what I really liked about, particularly about season three. It was
1: that whole inversion of like the, the timeline as well. I'm like, oh, I know yeah. this happened like at this point, but now this is
3: happening now and then. But, oh and my it, God, this guy oh, and okay. it, yeah.
1: Puts things in different contexts and, you know, changes the dynamics. And it's great. It's mm. a great – Hannibal is like the perfect like – it's, it's like the perfect reboot. It is an example of how to reboot something right. Do it in the way yeah. that is respectful to the source, that is respectful to its history and what has come before, but do, uh, doing its own thing and cutting its own path.
3: Yeah, and I, I don't think a lot of reboots or revamps or prequels or whatever can really say that about, yeah. like, restarting a franchise. You think about you know any sort of recent sort of restart of a franchise. One that comes to mind is you know Terminator Genesis, which apparently is getting a sequel. Um, and I think that Ooh, was.
2: Do you mind if I intercut? Because hmm? I was just going to say that I think that with these kind of prequel things, like a film, <sighs> you can't really do a film prequel at the moment. I just don't think you can. But all the f- prequel TV shows are doing relatively okay.
1: Bates Motel. Bates Motel. Um, Wet
2: Hot. Our first day of camp hmm. Like all the Yeah Kind of prequely TV shows Because you have time To flesh out these characters That we already know Yeah Instead of just being like Here's a also story with like, people you know Let's just do the story It's like no, nah, man yeah. Like if we want a prequel We want to fucking know About their history Yeah Hmm
3: Which is kind of interesting When you think about Because like I, I, Yeah like with prequels And like I think we've mentioned this Many times in this, this uh, podcast Is that yeah Like I can't really think Of really good te- uh, movie prequels Because mm. I just don't think they... Do they exist? No, they no, they don't. <laughs> I know Indiana Jones. Uh, people were sort of touting that, but meh,
1: meh, meh, meh. maybe.
3: I, mean, I think because was Final Destination Five. Maybe? I haven't seen. it <laughs> <laughs> it was like a decent prequel, no, yeah. but again, is setting the bar very low. <laughs> but it seems like, yeah, like for some odd reason, and you could argue, ha- Hannibal the TV series is a prequel. But it's an it was, overlay. It's like it goes. It was, a pre- it was initially a bit of a prequel, it's an overlay, yeah, and it's, then it was well, it's, like,
1: a complete, it's a definition of a reboot. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, like it's not a remake. It's not a prequel. It just is a redo of the same story. Yeah, yeah. In a way that's, but it's funny because this is like technically the third, I guess, version of that. because you know there was Manhunter, mm. and then Manhunter was rebooted with was the there a Hawkins trilogy. Why? Manhunter was called Manhunter? Because there was a film that came out at the same time that was a Kung Fu film or earlier called like Something to Do with the Dragon. Enter the Dragon or something like that? Something like that. It was like, I don't know what it was. Anyway, it flopped and they didn't want people to think that this was a Kung Fu film. So they called it Manhunter instead. Huh, I've never thought about Red Dragon as a kung fu film, but... Yeah, that's, yeah, that's why right, they changed no,
3: yeah. they, That yeah. would make sense, particularly in like an 80s era like, yeah. without internet. Yeah, like, Red absolutely. Dragon, I don't want to see no foreign shit. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So
1: that's it. That's exactly why. Oh, okay. That's, yeah. yeah. But so, yeah, and then there's uh, the Hopkins trilogy and then there's the TV show. So Because yeah. I was just
3: thinking, you could, you could use this as a good case study for what other people are doing when they were trying to reboot franchise, I was about to say with Terminator Genesis, for mm. example... They could have done something, which is a complete reboot, but I don't know if he could do that while well, maybe Arnold Schwarzenegger is involved.
1: Yeah, well, you Sarah, have to explain why he's
3: old.
2: Sarah Chron-
3: Connor Chronicles. Sarah, yeah, it's c- c- Sarah
1: Connor Chronicles? That's the yes. one?
3: Well, yes. Yeah, that was a good That reboot. went
2: three seasons. Yeah, like, that was a really good reboot, actually. Well, Reboots like... are fine. Reboots, TV shows are fine. Yeah.
1: Reboots are fine as long as you do them well. Like I mean, you know, it's and as long as you have something new to mm. say and a new take on it. Mm. Um, I mean, it feels like Terminator Genesis so much of it was... And not because I, I quite enjoyed the film, to be honest, but like I feel like so much of it was compromised so that Arnie could be a part of it. Like, yeah. so, they, they they probably wrote that whole plot just so uh, to explain why Arnie's old.
3: Yeah. I, I would not be surprised. Yeah. So I think, yeah, it just sort of that's how you sort of do it right. You just, you know, you grab the characters, you grab the basic sort of the same sort of plot line, storylines, and maybe you just try and do your own thing rather than yeah. trying
1: to just, you know,. Absolutely, you do. Do what Terminogenesis did, which was
3: try and force too much of nostalgia down my throat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. huh. Take it all, bitch! Mm. Would you accept a, a, a sort of a canonical novel not written by Thomas Harris? If well, Thomas Harris was like, look, I'm getting old. I can't really write as well as I have. However, like, my. But he's Dave, and he's yeah, pretty like good. Yeah, my literally protege
1: or whoever it is.
2: Well, I mean, I'd accept ex- it. I've given him my
1: blessing. I'd accept it because, on a certain level, it's not really any different to what Fuller's doing in the TV show. Mm. Like, not really. Like, it's. I mean, I'm reading the new um, Girl with a Dragon Tattoo book at the mm. moment, not written by Steve Larson. Yeah. And it's like, I think how you approach those things, like, you know, it's so far, I'm still. I'm only like a quarter into it, so I'm still kind of withholding judgment. But it's still like, okay, so like, the author died, and this is sort of a new take on it. And it's like, on the one hand, you you know in your head that this probably isn't what the author intended. Mm. But on the other hand, it's like still kinda of nice to see the characters again mm. and like, it's particularly like seeing
2: with, an old friend. Exactly.
1: And like with characters as iconic as the Hannibal characters, I think there are like it's like what George Lucas did with Star Wars. You create a sandbox, you create these iconic characters, and then new generations and other people come in and put their spin on it. Yeah. It's the same as like comic books have been doing for ages. Mm-hmm. Like just because something is a book series originally doesn't mean that it's beholden to different rules to like comic books or um no. Or you know, Star Wars or big movie franchise, or anything like that, like mm. you know we know that we know for a fact that Thomas Harris like created this perfect trilogy of crime novels mm. um you know coming into i mean he already it, i don't think a new novel could do worse than Hannibal Rising already <laughs> did <laughs> at extending the brand, so like look, like if Thomas Harris died of old age or something and then like. Or you like that,
3: or even simply maybe like, oh, like just I just don't want to write like, let or even let someone else do it but look, I or, don't even know. if you write I'd... it's like in like a spec script or something like here's like the dot points, here the thing that all, all I'm going to say is
1: um, if somebody is going to get paid to write <laughs> a new had yeah. a novel uh, let me know we, you know where to find us yeah just give give me, give me a ring That's, I'll just be waiting by the phone just uh, tapping on my finger <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully. I'll just I'll just start it anyway it's fine yeah, fuck yeah, it I'll, I'll do it now. It, I'll, just, it. I'll just keep it just like you know if, if somebody ever calls you I'll be like oh I've been saving this for a rainy day here you go you go.
2: go, there you there you go. go. <laughs> <laughs> just in case I it. No, you could do like um, <sighs> Fifty Shades of Grey
1: yeah
3: just fifty pages like, oh, of Oh yeah, yeah, just, yeah. just <laughs> put it up online, and everyone's like, "This is great." And then you're like, "I'm just going to change some names." Yep, and then there <laughs> we go. We're, We're, We're good. <laughs> We're good. We form our own new trilogy. And on that note, I've been Joel. I've been Zoe. I've been Gabe. I hope you've enjoyed our Hannibal. Th- the mm. hope-
2: Hannibal trilogy, full of thrills and kills.
1: <laughs> yes, our Hannibal trilogy. And Then we'll come and we'll make a fourth one that is just not as good. <laughs> we'll make a fourth one that's just deliberately a bit shit, just to reflect the franchise
3: properly. Yeah, I think that's a good idea. I yeah. think we should uh, focus on Hannibal's parents. Yep, um, good, good. How they met. Yeah? Yes, sweet. good. I think that's all Hannibal, a bit- in I mean, Hannibal in love. Hannibal in love. Okay, fuck it. Let's set this on a cruise ship. <laughs> uh, it's like Love Boat, but with Hannibal. And he's the cook on the cruise ship. Awesome. Love it. Awesome. So I'll start writing immediately. Get to work.
2: (laughs) If you think this show is worth at least a dollar, why not donate to our Patreon account? Follow the links on our
0: website, sanspantsradio.com.